one of the really important things about my job, Ronnie, is that if you lead a song before the sermon, I have to remember not to turn the microphone on before I stop singing. That's really important for everybody's sanity. I am uh, perpetually and constantly amazed by the way you can read the Bible your entire life and continue to be blessed and even surprised uh, by the mystery of that book. I've mentioned before that I kind of plan out the texts and topics, well, mostly texts, that I want to cover in a year, about a year in advance, and map them out. Uh, I don't write the sermons a year in advance, but I say I'm going to cover you know, these verses on these dates. And I, every year, somewhere in early February or late January, put the transfiguration on my chart. Because it's an interesting story. It's told uh, three times in, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You just keep getting told the story of the transfiguration. Peter refers back to it in the book of 1 Peter as an important milestone that he remembered. It's kind of a big deal. And yet, I'm always worried when I put it on my little chart to preach about of... Well, I have anything to say about it, but I didn't say last year. You know, it's, it's a story you may have heard in Bible class at some point. Well, I have anything to say about it. And every year I am stunned by how I read it again, like so many Bible stories, and notice something captivating about it that I hadn't thought about before that challenges me and helps me to grow. And today we want to look at the transfiguration to help us understand one of our core values here at the Central Church of Christ, passion-driven, forward-thinking, and spirit-led. And I think the transfiguration story will actually help you to get a glimpse of the meaning of the idea of the expression forward-looking and what it might mean. To understand it, I challenge you this morning to imagine a good book. Okay? Imagine a good book that you would want to read. What work of fiction we're talking about here? A work of fiction, something that you'd want to read from beginning to end. Okay? Let's start by saying what that book doesn't do. Can you imagine? You pick up a book, it's a work of fiction by your favorite author, and you're going to read it, and you read chapter one, and there is a hero, and he gets up in the morning, and he goes to work, and then he comes back home, and you go, ooh, been introduced to the hero, I wonder what happens next, and you go to chapter two, and he does the exact same thing, he gets up, and he goes to work, and he comes back home, and you go, oh, well, we're building to something, and you turn to chapter three, and the hero gets up and goes to work, and he comes back home. And you start flipping through the chapters, and the story is chapter one over and over and over and over and over again. Chapter one is the same as chapter two, is the same as chapter three, the same as chapter four, the same as chapter five. It's not that chapter one was bad. He might have had a really interesting day at work. But no matter how interesting chapter one is, if you just read chapter one over and over and over again, or repeat it over and over and over again, that's a lousy story. You read the story because you want to know, and then what happened? Okay? That's how a story works. You go from one thing to the next. Okay, so that's a bad story. Now think about another kind of bad story. Imagine you read a story, and there's a hero, and his name is Bob, and he gets up, and he goes to work, and he comes back home, and you go, oh, we're building to something. And you turn the story... And you have a whole different set of characters in a whole different time and place, and something completely different happens. And you say, well, that's odd. Maybe they're going to tie it in. And you turn to chapter 3, and it's a whole new set of characters in a whole new time of place that have nothing to do with chapters 1 and 2. And you say, okay, that's kind of odd. And so you turn it again. And it's a whole new set of characters and a whole new story. Nothing relates to chapter 1, 2, or 3 
over and over again. We used to play this game on long road trips as a family. It's one of my fond memories. Uh, on really long road trips as a kid, four kids in the back seat of a minivan or station and wagon or whatever, and we'd play this game where mom would start a story. And then we were all supposed to take turns telling the next part of the story, and it went around, and you got to make up your own part. It was all improv, right? So mom would say, hey, there was a little boy named Timmy, and he had a dog, and he went to school. And then I would be my job. Little Ben would say, oh, and then Timmy got to school, and he had a test, and he didn't do very well. And then it'd be my brother Clint's turn, and he'd say, meanwhile, on the planet Zargon. <laughs> and it would be completely unrelated and then he'd hand it off to the next person. And you had no idea what you were supposed to do next. There was always like a sci-fi element in Clint's version. Every time it came around to him, there was something going on elsewhere in the universe. And we'd come back to Timmy and his dog. It was a lousy story. Okay? So what makes a bad story? If you just tell chapter one over and over and over and over again, that's a bad story. Meanwhile, if it's sketch comedy where... You know, if you watch Saturday Night Live and there's a skit, the next skit has nothing to do with the first skit. Or, if it's not your taste, uh, Monty Python and the Flying Circus. In between skit, John Cleese would say, and now for something completely different. And they'd go on to the next skit that had nothing to do with the previous skit. They didn't carry characters over. You just started over. Okay? A good story is none of those things. A good story starts you off and it introduces concept, places, names, people, and then the story develops. Something new happens, but the story has continuity. It's the same character, or maybe you add a character, but they have a relationship to the first character. Or maybe even you have two or three stories going on, but before the end they all come together, and there's a connection. Something's happening, something new, but it's happening to the same people or places or things. That's what makes a good book. The Bible is a great book. It's a great story. And it develops in exactly that way. When we say that Christianity, and this church in particular, is forward-looking, what we mean by that is that we are living out a story. Just as the Bible conveys a story, we are living out a story. And what that means is, on the one hand, we don't expect tomorrow we're going to start all over from scratch on planet Zargon and something completely new is going to come about. We're going to reinvent Christianity tomorrow. That would be a terrible idea. But neither do we mean that we're going to replay chapter 1 over and over again. The story develops in the same way you grow and develop throughout your life. And an example of how that message is conveyed to Peter, actually, who had a hard time learning it, as we'll see is the story of the transfiguration. Take a look. Our text is Mark chapter 9. You can read it in any of the Gospels. We're going to take Mark because it's Mark. We're going to look at Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 4. And it starts out, after six days, see, so already, this is the continuation of a previous story. They've been doing something, and then after six days, here's what happens next. Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Now, on the one hand, the life and times of Jesus of Nazareth is, you know, the biggest plot twist in human history. It's the newest new thing that could ever happen. 
No bigger surprise in the story than the arrival of Jesus of Nazareth, whether it's His virgin birth, His miraculous life, His incredible teachings, later His crucifixion, and the biggest surprise of all, His resurrection. Plot twist after plot twist after plot twist. And yet the point that this story makes is that Jesus is part of a larger story. And to show that, it literally shows him having a conversation with characters from the previous chapters. Jesus is literally on a mountain talking to the great names of the characters that had come before. Here's Elijah on one side, and here's Moses, and they're having a conversation. Oh, wouldn't you like to know what they were talking about? Every time I read the Transfiguration, I think that's the thing I'll learn. I never do. I don't know what they were talking about. Probably not Super Bowl related, but I'm sure it was very fascinating. Some kind of great conversation going on. But it's the characters that you've met. That's the key point in the first part of the story. It's not two otherworldly alien figures descend down and start talking to Jesus. Oddly enough, it's two people we've met, and the disciples knew who they were, which also blows my mind. Because I don't know if they're wearing name tags or what. Peter had never met Elijah or Moses, had never seen a picture other than, I don't know, something drawn on the side of the synagogue or whatever, had never seen what those guys look like. But the disciples, they see these two men and they instantly know somehow that's Elijah, that's Moses, that's the guys we've read about in the earlier part of the story. And now Jesus is talking to them. Jesus' story continues the story that came before it. What does it mean to be forward-thinking? It doesn't mean to leave the story behind and just pioneer a brand new story of your own choosing. This is not a choose-your-own-adventure novel where you get to decide what happens next and you get to invent new characters. In, if we want to put it on a spectrum, in the traditional way, I was trying to think of what the name for that is. In the traditional way of thinking, the name for that is heresy. When you just wake up one morning and say, you know, I know how the story has gone thus far, but I'd like Christianity to be different, and we're just going to write a new book. And every so often, throughout the history of Christianity, people have tried that, and they still do. A hundred years ago, not a hundred years ago, I've got to put my prepositions in the right place. Tuesday morning not 100 years ago, I was having a conversation with Bud about a book written 100 years ago. Bud's not 100 years ago. Make that very clear. Bud wasn't there when the book was written. I assume. But Bud and I were talking about a book 100 years ago, uh, written quite literally 100 years, 101. J. Gresham Machen wrote the book Christianity and Liberalism in 1923. And in his day, the, the, the concern had a name and it was liberalism. Today the, the words get changed or whatever. But his concern was we have people who have decided we need a new book. They weren't getting rid of the Bible. They were just adding to it their own value judgments as a judge of the Scripture. They felt like the Bible restrained them too much and they wanted to move beyond that. They didn't respect the sacred page. And Machen was complaining about that. Great quote from that book, page 67. Dependence upon a word of man would be slavish. 
but dependence upon God's Word is life. Dark and gloomy would be the world if we were left to our own devices and had no blessed Word of God. The Bible, to the Christian, is not a burdensome law, but the very Magna Carta of Christian liberty. He says, I don't need that other thing because the Bible itself, when understood, gives me the life and the liberty I'm looking for. It's already there if I would have the faith to look at it. I want to give you an example this morning. I often, because I'm a minister and this is how algorithms work, I often get sent or see videos of sermon clips from usually really bad sermons because they're funny, uh, some from like the radical left, some from the radical right, of like, or just great big sermon fails. And I do, a, I very much am disciplined about not sharing them with you or showing them to you. But today I wanted some examples. I wanted to show you like, here's one extreme, here's the other. So I'm going to show you two extremes. If you don't like one, stay tuned. There's another one. And I want to show you two extremes. And the first one I want to show you is an example of a person who very clearly said, I'm going to disregard the story and move on to what I think is best, okay? Reserve judgment, just hear it out, don't get distracted, and I want you to look for this question, how does this person view the Word of God? Hi, uh, Father Ken already introduced me a little bit, but I just wanted to say hi and say thank you. My name is Pastor L. I use pronouns like she or they. I'm a campus minister in Chicago for a joint Lutheran Episcopal campus ministry downtown on the Loop, where I also pastor to a group of unhoused folks. Um, I'm also a PhD student. I wrote the book Baptized in Tear Gas. And it's been so good to be with you all this weekend. We had a book event with you in worship this morning. Before we get started, we, I wanted to just name something, too, uh, from the reading from Corinthians. You might have noticed that we didn't read one part out loud, and that's because it's yikes. So um, putting that reading in original context, um, Paul himself uh, was a Jewish man, right? And so there were sort of inter-Jewish conversations and disagreements about the role of Jesus and what that means. Uh, but really, in this letter to the Corinthians, Paul's being kind of a jerk, both about Jewish people and about the Greeks. And even more important than his original intent is the way that verses like that have been used throughout the ages to harm our Jewish siblings. And so we wanted to just sort of name that right out, even before we got started with anything else. Um, and to kind of put that before us as something, particularly those of us gathered here who are Christians, the way that we can look at the way our traditions, the way that our scriptures have been used to harm our siblings and to be accountable for that. So, thank you. Don't get distracted by the details in that particular clip. There's lots of things that we might want to talk about. There's one thing I want us to notice. Here's a person in a, in a liturgical church. Uh, if you know the church background, where they, like me, follow kind of an assigned reading of text. There's a text that had come up to be read that week, and they came to the text and decided, we don't like that text. And so they just left it out. And then in addition to the, leaving it out and just saying we don't want to read it because we don't like what it says, made a moral judgment about the author of the text. Paul was being a jerk. Now, don't get me wrong, Paul's a human being. Just last week, I was reading to you a text from Paul, and I mentioned 
Paul was in a mood when he wrote this, right? Paul's a human. Paul gets in a mood. Sometimes you can see he's a little angry in a verse, sometimes a little less so. All that's there. But it's quite another thing to make a morality judgment and say, Paul's a jerk. I don't like this verse. I don't trust what it says. And I'm going to simply leave it out and acknowledge that and omit something. You see, what's happening there is instead of letting the book judge me, I'm judging the book. I'm deciding that I don't trust the book to be my guide for what I need to be doing in life. And because of that, I'm simply going to omit the parts I don't like. That's not forward thinking. That's something entirely different. To be forward looking or forward thinking does not mean dismissing the scriptures or the story that comes before us. Jesus stood shoulder to shoulder with Elijah and Moses. And the apostles went out with that message to the world and continued that story. In the second century AD, there was a guy long before this lady who tried to leave out big chunks of the scripture. His name was Marcion, he was a bishop. And he said, there are parts of the Bible that I find objectionable. And so we should reduce the Christian Bible to just the book of Luke and the epistles of Paul and leave out the Old Testament and the other stuff altogether. And the church overwhelmingly said, no. They said, Marcion, we want the Old Testament. It's God's Word. Do we understand all of it? Nope. Do we struggle with it? Yep. But it's God's Word and it's staying in. Do we find troublesome things in the books of the New Testament from time to time? Yes, we do. But it's God's Word and it's staying in. And for 2,000 years, people have struggled with that decision and come to portions of the text and said, I don't know what to do with that. But the answer is not to dismiss it. The answer is to trust the story and the God who's writing the story. The book of Hebrews describes Jesus as the author and finisher of our faith. That he's telling a great story. And it's not forward thinking to be dismissive of the past because you don't understand your present. Instead, we look and we ask the question, how does this continue the story of what has come before? Now, that's how we could talk about the other extreme and go back to Mark for just a moment and watch Peter falling into the ditch on the other side of the road. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses, one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved Son, listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. What's Peter trying to do? Peter is thinking, this is a continuation of the story in the sense that it's a repetition of the story. If, Eli if Moses was here, what would he have done? We would have honored him and listened to him as a prophet of God. If Elijah was here, what would we do? We'd honor him and we'd listen to him as a prophet of God. So now Jesus is here. So what do we do? We honor him. We listen to him as a prophet of God. The most that Peter can imagine, best line in that, by the way, is the little sentence, for he did not know what to say. Didn't stop him from saying something anyway. Great lesson, kids. All adults need to learn this lesson. If you don't know what to say, don't. It's an option, believe it or not. You don't have to say anything. In fact, you can say, I don't know what to say. That would have been a better answer than what Peter said. But what Peter said was, I'm going to just do what we've always done. 
this is a continuation of the past. God has sent prophets. God sent a prophet. Now, we'll treat them like a prophet. And God said, He yelled from heaven, No! This isn't merely a prophet. This is My Son. You don't listen to Him the way you listen to those that come before. The story has progressed. This is the next chapter. You're going to hear Him in a new way. You're going to hear Him with more authority. You're going to treat Him differently. He's something new. The story has advanced. The page has turned. You listen to Him. And when Peter opens his eyes to make the point clear, the other two are gone. See the two points? On the one hand, why show them in the first place? Why have Moses and Elijah there? If God just wanted the point, listen to Jesus, He could have just shouted from heaven, listen to Jesus. But he starts by saying, Moses and Elijah there, showing them there and saying, here is my son in conversation with the story that has come before. And then he takes them away and says, and now for something completely different. Now for something new. Now for something greater than anything that has come before. The story was advancing. Jesus' story continues the story that comes before it. It's not a repetition. It's not Moses born again. It's not Elijah born again. It's Jesus. It's something new. And this experience was unprecedented. You know how many transfigurations there are in the Old Testament? This is an unprecedented story. Do you know how many transfigurations there are in the New Testament? Exactly this one. Peter had nothing to reference it. He couldn't compare it to anything. It was new. God had done something he hadn't done before. The story had advanced. And he had to understand that. So in the same way, some folks want to go beyond the story and say, let's throw out the old characters and start something new. Some folks, like Peter, just can't imagine anything other than what they've had before and want to go back time and time again to the last chapter and say, let's revisit that time and time again. I got another video. If you didn't like the last one, you'll love this one. This one, the people who posted it um, put a dis- it's not my disclaimer. They put a disclaimer on it to say this guy doesn't represent us. But it's a pretty interesting video. Now, he, what, did, what was he doing? He was, he was offering a what? Okay. That goes back to tradition. That's the word that these moderates and liberals and contemporaries can't stand. All them Facebook bunch of gurus. Amen. They can't stand tradition. They all, all they want to ask you all the time, uh, uh, why do you, why do y'all, why do y'all do that? What verse do y'all have for that? Yeah. What verse do you have for breathing? Yeah. 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 Go ahead. Go ahead. I don't have to have a verse yeah. for everything I do. Yeah. Now don't get nervous, I'm a biblicist. Yeah. And our whole basis right. it, it, for doctrine and practice yeah. is the Word of God. Yeah. But there's some things called traditions. Yeah. He just had a tradition where Cain, the representative of, of disorderly, yes, sir. evil men, That's right. the context, those that will not follow tradition, mm-hmm. like Red Book singing, yeah. Yeah. like four-part harmony, yeah. Yeah. like parts in songs instead of words on a wall. That's right. yeah. You don't have to like this. You can lump this, bump this, fall over and shake like a dog with fleas. Hey, I come in here to preach now, friend. And you, all you're going to do is be wrong when you argue with me. That's right. All you're going to be is wrong. Look, go and get ready to be wrong. Yeah. That's my favorite part at the end. All you're going to do is be wrong. 
thought you'd like that. Ronnie liked the part about four-part harmony and no words up there on the wall. I knew he'd like that, right? What, what's the issue here? Here's a crazy thought, and this might blow your mind. That guy's a liberal. By J. Gresham Machen's definition, that guy's a liberal because he is not content to live by God's word. Now, he's a different kind of liberal, right? The lady in the first clip wants to view the scriptures through the lens of her place and time and judge it by her morality. The guy in the second clip wants to do the same thing, only instead of his using his own place and time, he wants to use 50 years ago. He's still saying that there's something that is superior. He says, oh, I believe the Word of God, I'm a biblicist, but my dad one day, I've been quoting my dad a lot this week, it's been a strange week, my dad one day gave me the definition of the word but. He said, when a child says the word but, that means everything they just said doesn't matter. I know you told me to do this, but I'm a biblicist, I follow the Bible, but there's a thing called tradition. And when I need to, that will be superior to my Bible. It's the same problem. Neither person is actually content to live with the obligations and the liberty of God's Word. To be forward-looking does not mean reliving the days that came before us any more than it does invite, inventing a new book for the days that go on beyond. To, to be a forward-looking people means to ask the question, where have we been, where are we now, and where is God writing the next chapter of this great story? For Peter, this was a tremendously difficult lesson to learn. And it has been for me too. It is for all of us. You'd think he'd learn from the transfiguration scene. He didn't. Later in the life of Peter, Jesus has been crucified. Peter didn't do real well for that one. Jesus has been resurrected. Peter didn't actually do real well on that one either. But he got around to it. And then some days later, Jesus and Peter are having a conversation. And it's the first chapter of the book of Acts. And when they come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? What is Peter doing? After all the things that Peter has seen in the life of Christ, the most he can imagine is that now it's time to get back to the way things were. To relive the chapters that had come before. Are we getting back to the glory days? Will we have a king like David? Will we have riches like Solomon? Will we have wars and empires? Will we get back to the day? And the funny thing is, Peter had never even seen those days in his entire life. He was born centuries after those things. But in his mind, the best thing that could happen is to go back to the previous chapter. Not to ask what happens next, but to go back to the way things were. Is it time yet? Is it time for that kingdom come back around? And Jesus, perhaps a little exasperated, says, it's not for you to know the times or seasons the Father's fixed by His own authority, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you should be my witness in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. What's the message? God's doing something new. Peter has to figure this out, because Peter's one of the people through whom the next chapter, quite literally, is going to be written. Peter's the guy. The next 15 chapters of Acts. God leading Peter into the next chapter, literally. The next turn of the page of the story of the church. And it's not going backwards. And it's not starting over. It is taking the message and the story of Jesus Christ and continuing it forward. 
And to reinforce this point, God made one more big startling plot twist to make sure Peter got the point. Was it a second transfiguration? Last time Peter was confused. God had Jesus and then Moses and Elijah. This time he says, now for something completely different. And when he had said these things as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. Moses and Elijah? No. Two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. It's kind of like the transfiguration, but completely different. It's the next story. And Jesus himself is taken up out of the plot to sit at the right hand of God and rule from heaven. And now Peter, your job, disciples, your job is to take this message to the world to the chapter that's not yet been written. And there's going to be a chapter beyond that. I say Christianity is a forward-looking faith because exactly of that promise, Christianity has always been a forward-looking faith because we believe the best of what God is going to do is still to come. They believed it in the Old Testament that Messiah would come and something better would come to pass. And we believe it in the New Testament. The Christ will come again and something better will come to pass. Or as C.S. Lewis once wrote, there are far, far better things ahead than anything you leave behind. It's not a brand new story, but it is the next chapter. The Central Church of Christ doesn't look like it did a hundred years ago when J. Gresham Machen was writing his book or anything else that was happening then. I was talking again this last week, lots of nostalgia on my heart, chatting with my dad and talking about our experiences in churches long ago. My dad's a, an older man now, 83 years old. He's seen a lot of things. And they're great things. Flawed in all their ways, but wonderful. And I'm here because of him. When I grew up at the Church of Christ at Seminole, there was the only church I'd ever seen that actually had a pew marked reserved. True story. And for good reason. The very back pew had a sign on it that said reserved. And I forget the gentleman's name. That's what happens with time. You get old and forget things. But there was a man who came in who was a member of that church who was 100 years old. And that was his spot. It was the one he could get to. And they saved it for him. And one day the preacher took young 8-year-old Ben and pointed at that guy. And he said, that guy was born in 1893. Can you imagine the things that he's seen? And how much the world has changed through the seasons of his life and the chapters that has turned. And now he's here in this church with you, this eight-year-old kid. And someday my kids are going to hear stories of the churches I grew up in and ask questions. And it'll be different. And it'll be the same. It'll be the next chapter of the great story that God is writing by His Son, the author and finisher of our faith. And that's exactly what's happening in your personal life. God is taking what you have been and He is changing it. Aren't you glad that you're not the same person through your whole life? Somebody better amen that. I'm going to get like that fundamentalist preacher. Aren't you glad you are not the person you were when you were a teenage kid? You were dumb. God bless you. He loved you. You didn't know anything. 
aren't you glad that you're not the person who made the faulty, flawed mistakes of your young adulthood? Aren't you glad that you've been that person and that God has made you something new and that He's making something new of you still to come? Church is where that happens. And we want to be part of that in your life. If we can help you in any way, we want to. We want to talk to you. We want to discuss the Scriptures with you. We want to hear your story and where you've been. We want to talk together about where the Scriptures are leading you next and how you can be a part of it, of what God is doing, the author and finisher of our faith. You can communicate with us through text. They didn't have that in Jay Gresham Machen's day, but it's something we can try. You can come up to the front of the auditorium during our song. Any way you want to respond, we'd be happy to talk to you because it's important that you live out the story God is writing. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you for the great story. We thank you for Moses and Elijah and all that's come before, but of all things, we listen to your son. Give us a faith in your word. Help us to be committed to your voice and the scriptures, to be judged by it and not judges of it, but also willing to see what you're doing next. Open to where you will lead us, to the future that you are creating by the author and finisher of our faith, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Why don't you stand as we sing?